All right. You know, I think we'll just get started. Um, and when Jack comes, um, assuming that he does, uh, we'll just we'll just lo- uh, slot him right in. Uh, for anyone who who doesn't already know, uh, Jack Crosby is a journalist and a friend, and he is in Kharkiv, uh, which is a city in the kind of like the east northeast corner of Ukraine. And it's it's been one of the targets of of the Russian military. Uh, they've been, you know, kind of coming after the city. I think they bombed a couple airfields. So we've certainly uh, been talking. It's it's actually kind of funny. I mean, I don't know if funny is the right word, but uh, you know, when when I talked to Jack yesterday, almost exactly twenty four hours ago. Uh, we were talking about how funny it was it, again, not like haha funny, but how strange it was that, you know, in the six days since we had spoken before so much had happened. And, and now it's, it's, it's just ridiculous to think that because uh, maybe eight or nine hours after that happened, um, Russia just basically launched a full on invasion here. And, and that's the situation that we're in um, where, Ukraine and Russia are now officially at war. Um, there's, uh, you know, as as Russia, I'm sure, n- knew would happen. Uh, you know, no country is going to have Ukraine's back here and 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 risk nuclear war. So uh, it's and and the as we were talking about yesterday, the Russian military. Is just so so much over uh, so much overpowered, like compared to Ukraine, that that this isn't really like even like a fight. I mean, it's just this is just going to be uh, they're just going to roll them uh, basically. So that's the situation uh, right now. Uh, I'm really glad that we have Nashua Khan with us. Originally, we were going to talk about the Canadian trucker protest and the emergencies. Uh, Powers Act, obviously, and now we're going to be talking about this because I don't think anybody really cares about the truckers right now in the first 24 hours of a new war. Uh, but Nashva, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, do, do you want to get, kind of give your your general sense of things and uh, and tell people a little bit about your background? Hey, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, sound is good, right? Sorry I'm asking again. Yep, yep. No, you're good. Um, yeah, uh, my general background, I guess, is uh, I do I do a lot of comms work, but I'm a writer, um, an independent journalist, and I'm a health researcher. Um, but I'm a health researcher from an angle where I think about social determinants of health often. So I'm pulled into a lot of spaces, and I do community-based research um, in what is known as Canada. Um, and yeah, we are not talking about the truckers' protest because yesterday night we were texting throughout the night about what's going on and. Um, I often feel like I don't know a lot, but I think in this case, many people are being very loud who don't know a lot, and we might know a little bit more, be more thoughtful and tempered with our language. And our friend Jack is, uh, yeah, um, more on the ground than we are, of course, but uh, I don't even know where to start. Like, it's, yeah. it's obviously, yeah, like, obviously also, like, um, I live in a country that supplies arms to Yemen, right? Or not to Yemen, to Saudi Arabia to uh, literally devastate the Yemeni people and kill them and brutalize them. But at the same time, like back to what you said and what you and I have been talking about in advance of this is just, um, it's the position that Ukraine is in is that obviously nobody is going to step into this. Um, you can you can continue on that thought because you and I have talked a bit about it before this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, um, and 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 this is something that I've been talking about with a number of people, but uh, you you know, as as this as this crisis was kind of unfolding, I was seeing a lot of people saying, uh, you know, either that, you know, this is the result of of you know uh, the Biden administration's first thirteen months, uh, and or you know the the past four years of the Trump administration. And I, I just think that that is uh, just a little inaccurate because mm-hmm. this really has its base in, you know, the last couple of decades of uh, kind of this NATO creep, the collapse of the USSR, 
uh, the continuing uh, anger from Russia over the, you know, like, in, I guess, encroachment on its territory, uh, or, or at least, like, within its sphere of influence, certainly. And in, in some ways, you might say that this was somewhat inevitable. Um, but the decision uh, to come in and invade full on like this uh, was certainly certainly made by Russia, um, and it was premeditated as well. I mean, I think that's what people got to understand as well. Uh, one of the reasons, and I've seen this reported out, of course, and, and I'm sure that other people have as well. But one of the reasons that the sanctions, um, the sanctions hit, is something that they expected and that they knew that they were going to be able to take, is because. Russia had been preparing for something just like this. I mean, whether or not it was specifically uh, invading Ukraine or or some sort of other conflict, they knew this at at some point something was going to come down the line. So they have all of these slush funds and and all of this uh, capital funding uh, to kind of you know keep the people in power in power and keep them uh, from really suffering like the worst possible effects of of the sanctions that that have already come down and, and are certainly going to be coming down. And I think that that's important context because if, if you're going to like look at the way that Russia is acting and, and what they're doing to suggest that, you know, this is the, the result of the last year or, or few years is just, is just not accurate. And only and I also think, and this is kind of a little bit of a digression, but I also think that um, the, the there's this general idea that uh, the rest of the world kind of functions on the same four-year political mm-hmm. schedule uh, as America in the U.S. Right? <laughs> yeah. But they don't. They don't. And and um, and I know Ryan Grimm was talking about that this morning. I think, um, or one of his guests was, but the memory of two world wars, two invasions is still very real for people in Russia. And so you have to, when you're looking at what is going on over there, you have to look at it in with, with that perspective. You have to understand that they see things in a bit of a different way. And there's a certain amount of paranoia that, you know, and, and, and I would argue that what is going on in, in Ukraine is, is horrible. I mean, like thousands of people are going to die here uh, to, to basically just like prove a point. But it's it's not coming out of nowhere, and it's not the result of just like you know the last administration or the first year of this administration. This is this is a result of a decades long policy, uh, or or set of policies both between the West and Russia that have just led to this this event. And that's something that we were talking about a lot um, uh, last night, and kind of trying to like I think parse through like exactly how to say that in a way that doesn't seem like dismissive of either side. Yeah, and and like this is like you said, like this has been building up since what two thousand four. Um, well, two thousand eight was was the was yeah two thousand four was the yeah. coup. Yeah, and then but um, I think I think contextualizing it, uh, I think a lot of people's Twitter either it's their Twitter brain or like kind of the whatever memory they have. People don't think about the world before um, the last four years. And I think that's like a very North American thing, but um, I think also people kind of forget that, like, I don't know, a lot of people sound like NATO right now, but NATO's never really done great things um, ever, obviously, but uh, you're right. So like, if people were to think back, like let's go back to 2008 and contextualize this and anchor in it in a bit more context, um, what should they be like grasping right now? Also, like no thread or tweet is going to give you uh, the quick digest of what people think is going on. But like you said, there's going to be thousands of Ukrainians dead at the end of this. Right. I mean, th- well, 2008, um, I believe, is when Bush mm-hmm. uh, offered Ukraine NATO membership. 2014 is when the when there was the coup. So those are the kind of oh, two, yeah, yeah. those are the two recent ones. But, you know, when I'm saying uh when I'm saying decades, I mean I'm talking about you know since the uh, since the USSR collapsed, and so you then had like that historical context is important to kind of understand everything else that is happening here, um, especially because I think that if you if you remove that context from the situation, 
then it is very easy to kind of look at this and be like, well, this is just the result of like the last year, the last 13 months um, or the last like five years or something like that. But, but the reality is that it's been going on for, for much longer. Um, so, uh, so I, Jack is going to jump on here and, and join us. Oh, great. Um, but yeah, I, 2004 guess, is what's, Orange what's, Revolution. Sorry, that's why I had yeah. 2004 in my head. 2004 was Orange Revolution. So what's what's the view on this uh, from uh, from from uh, where you're at? From where I'm at, honestly. So I I approach things very I think differently in this case, and I am very uh, I weigh a lot of my thoughts before I say them out in the, to the world. But one of my from my social location viewpoints was I think it's great that Ireland lifted visa restrictions, but they would not do that for any other people. And I think we should think a little bit about that, not to totally digress from what's happening in the reality of that, but like respectfully that I found that very interesting um, about which refugees are welcome and not welcomed, which is maybe not the viewpoint people want to hear, but it is the viewpoint I come from uh, given my identities and the people I work with. And um I, I guess, like, uh, I don't know. I'm very into, if I'm from Canada, it's weird to see how Canadians speak about Russia, um, given, like, the way that we actively arm the Saudi government. Um, that's, so my viewpoint, I think, is maybe not what you want to hear, or some people want to hear, but I'm, I try to weigh what I think about and what I talk about. And I also think it's okay not to have all of the range on Russia and Ukraine. And obviously, like, um, I've just been watching the Lockheed Martin and Rapion stocks all day, to be honest. Right. I mean, that is, a, yeah, that is a large part of it. I think um, Ireland, it's interesting that you bring up Ireland because I've been following the uh, the conflict over direct provision, which is essentially the, the camps that they keep refugees in, in the country. Um, uh, not not uh, refugees from... From Ukraine, or at least not yet, uh, but it has been pretty brutal there. And it, it, I think it's an, kind of an open question as to what it's going to look like uh, if and when a bunch of people from Ukraine come in. Because honestly, like like most Western European countries, uh, although Ireland is is better in some ways, it hasn't been particularly kind to people from mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. So. It'll be interesting. Well, we do have Jack now, so I'm going to let Jack just kind of tell us uh, what's going on from his perspective. And, and um, yeah, we'll do that. So, Jack, thanks for joining us. Hey, Owen. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Um, yeah. How's it going? Uh, you know, I've been worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's unclear. It's, it's been really quiet here today. So I'm in, um, I'm in central Kharkiv. Um, which is a city right on the border, um, where I was, uh, speaking to you. Was that last night or the night before? It was, was last that last night? Yeah. Okay. Um, I haven't slept since then, so I, I don't, I don't really know what, uh, what day it is. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's pretty calm here. I was walking around earlier in the day and you could hear some, uh, some shelling and, and fighting in the distance. Um, but it's kind of odd because um, I think there's actually been some like really fierce fighting around the city, but it just hasn't touched the city center yet. Um, we did see uh, some reporters that I'm with uh, were had walked a little bit further further afield today, and they saw a whole bunch of soldiers kind of mobilizing on the edges, and and um, some Washington Post guys I think that were in a rental car zipping around caught like a Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian tank battalion like sort of moving toward the edge of town. So um, most of the indications that we've got tonight is that uh, stuff's going to go down. Um, but uh, yeah, again, don't really know what that'll look like. Um, I think that we're, uh, I'm in, I'm in one of the, the safer places to be um, in, in the city at the moment, just cause we, we kind of relocated from where I was speaking to you uh, from last time we were in kind of an Airbnb, just in a, in a random part of the city center and uh we decided that just security-wise, the best thing was to move into the big fancy hotel that all the, um, you know, all the all the TV correspondents and and everything like that um, uh, are in. Um, and um, yeah, you know, um, 
that's that's kind of where we're at. Um, it's it's really hard to tell that, that there's that kind of like cliche about the fog of war or whatever. Um, but it, it's real. You get stuck kind of in in your little like Kharkiv bubble, and you're you're kind of hearing what's going on immediately around you. And sometimes you see stuff that's going on in the rest of the country, but a lot of times there's just like there's like shocking things going on that you're just like not really aware of because there's only so much you can sort of process tonight uh, or in at one point in time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's uh, is it is it true that the airports have been taken down there? The airports have been fired on. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. I th- I think they've basically knocked out uh, every airport in the country, basically, like every major airport. Um, and so what yeah. is, I mean, what's, so what's the situation for people that like want to leave the city or, or you can still get out by, train? you can still get out by car. There's a lot of people that are leaving by car. I think, um, I, we spoke to some journalists this morning that left and got out and went to Kiev by car. Um, we were thinking about doing that too, but ultimately decided like, you know, the, the security trade-off is, is difficult. Um, I'm, I'm kind of only speaking as a, as a, as a journalist here. Um, it's, 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 it's tough that, uh, you know, you always want to focus your reporting on, um, the, the people of, of the country, but when the situation gets sort of as volatile as it is now, uh, you almost (laughs) like you have to, you have to focus on your own, uh, safety and security as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think for, uh, there, there's still a lot of civilians that are leaving by car. Um, we haven't taken that choice yet just cause I think we feel reasonably secure in the hotel that we're in right now. Cause we have the, you know, massive privilege to be able to be here. And, um, just because there's like, there's a lot of unpredictability on, on the roads in between here and Kiev. It's like under good conditions, it's like a six, seven hour drive. Um, and the journalists that I spoke to today, they left at like, like 10 a.m. I want to say like, but maybe before 10 a.m. Certainly, well before noon. And and when I was uh, texting with one of them um, a little bit ago, I think uh, she said that they were like just outside of Kiev now. So just, like, just for been... context, everyone, uh, Jack is seven hours ahead. So he, uh, if or from me because I'm on the East Coast, he's it's 8:30 for you right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I mean, I I think traffic hasn't been hasn't been as bad as it could be. I, I know that Kiev I heard was like just like really gridlocked and just because of like it seems uh like you know there's a lot of I don't even know what to call it man intelligence predictions at at a certain point in a war the context of what you're getting kind of shifts away from like solid reports and it all just kind of becomes rumor like i can't i can't say anything definitively anymore i'm i'm fairly certain that the airfields outside of most major cities have been either taken over or uh heavily shelled i'm fairly certain that there's heavy uh artillery and tank fighting outside of kharkiv but i can't really confirm that with my own like eyes and and we're fairly sure that I think um, Russian paratroopers are planning a, a somewhat serious attack on Kiev itself tonight um, to try and take some of the city. That's just what we're seeing. But like when things are moving this quickly and this violently, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so hard to sort of confirm any of this stuff until uh, much longer uh, after, after it happens. Yeah. It's just hard to follow. Um, Nashua, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask Jack, or or should we just keep keep going? Uh, well, I wanted to say I haven't talked to Jack in a bit, so I, I'm glad Jack is okay. It's good to hear his voice. <laughs> um, Thank you. Is, yeah, good is. to hear you yeah. too. Um, yeah, I just I it's yeah, Jack. I hope you're okay, um, as okay as you can be. But yeah, you no, know, we're hanging in there. No, yeah, thanks for letting us know what it looks like. Like when you're looking out the window, like what's it like? Like you kind of touched on it, but like I always like to know when people are in a certain space. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, right. Well, the first room that we were in was all the way up on the ninth floor, and we had a uh, sort of like north, north by northwest facing window, um, also facing where there's sort of some government buildings on the other side of the square that this big hotel is on. Um, and we all kind of decided that like that shit was sketch. 
Um, so we moved down to a room on the seventh floor, which I think is facing. What direction am I facing? I think I'm sort of like west facing right now. So I'm looking out over the. Um, I'm looking out over the terrace um, where uh, all the uh, all the TV journos are, are have set up for their like live to camera shots and stuff like that because there's there's a pretty good overlook of of parts of the city. But I think that where the fighting is is kind of like behind me. It's sort of on the other side of the hotel, um, sort of to the northeast. Um, but it's 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 pretty dark out there right now. Like I'm honestly not seeing a lot of lights, um, and part of that's because of where I am. But um, even just walking around on the streets today, like businesses were shut. It was weird in the morning. It seemed like everyone was kind of like going to work as usual, and then by like noon or so everyone had, everyone had just like scarpered, you know, like people were staying off the streets. Um, the town was, was like pretty much empty. Nothing was open. Um, the, the attack launched at like four in the morning, right? Just after 5am. Yeah. Were the first airstrikes got it, got it. or so, missile, missile strikes. I think they weren't, they weren't airstrikes. Yeah. But now there's kind of a lull. No, I think that I think that there's there's so the the missile strikes missile strikes hit I think uh, like airfields and key military targets like sort of all over the country, um, and so those were the first like booms that you heard, and then um, what it's been since then is like ground fighting, essentially like tanks on tanks and stuff, and that has been um, largely outside of the city. Uh, I think right now um, we've we've gotten reports uh, at various different times of like Russian tanks being close to close to the city close to the city limits inside the city limits we're not entirely sure um i i can't hear too much from my room i think these you know this is a really fancy hotel so these windows are probably pretty thick but um yeah i guess i should i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and do a little more reporting um later this evening we're gonna go down to one of the metro stations i think where people are kind of preparing to settle in uh for the night as sort of a, a bomb shelter so um we'll maybe be able to get a better sense of what's going on there. But, but as for right now, um, you know, it seems, seems pretty calm. Yeah. I saw, I saw that, um, that post, uh, I think from, I think from the, from the government saying that people should, uh, should try to go down there. Um, as, as we keep talking, anybody who, who wants to join the call, just hit the call yeah. button. And, um, and we'll oh, and I'm, I'm probably, I'll, I'll like take a few, like if people are jumping on, but I, I probably got to, I probably got to hop off in a few here. Yeah, that's right. So, so maybe, maybe we'll just chat with you for a few more minutes and then, and then we'll open it up. Um, yeah, give me five more. Yeah, sure. So, so, um, can you just kind of, I don't know, just say, just get, give us your sense of, of where things are going and, and maybe let us know a little bit about what you're planning as much as you feel, I guess, comfortable uh, same, same that. Yeah. Um, you know, planning, uh, planning is tough. Um, I think the, the strategy that we have been, have gone with so far is to just kind of like hold, hold still, stay put. Um, I think the, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting emails right now. Um, I think I think it's sort of best the the strategies it's as, as my editors um, at Rolling Stone and I have talked about is is basically um, we don't think that either side in this conflict um, is particularly incentivized to directly target or harm journalists. So the safest thing I think that that those of us who are in a situation where you know the the city that we're in might change hands soon or there might be really heavy fighting here is to basically be as predictable and um easily identifiable as possible so i think that that basically means just like kind of staying in this hotel which is sort of known to the various powers that be as like the one that a lot of mass media are staying in you want um, to be visibly I, pressed yeah yeah exactly we want to be visibly pressed we want to be in the areas that they expect us to be and like you know that doesn't guarantee our safety but i think it goes a long way toward like you know the 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 absolute nightmare is you're Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna log off right now because yeah, I just yeah. want to get I want to get my boots back on. I'm gonna hear kind of hearing some stuff yeah, outside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, well, stay uh, stay safe and and yeah. uh, we'll uh, yeah. talk to you soon.
Bye, yeah. Jack. Take yeah. care. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye, Ashley. Good to talk to Bye. you guys. Good Bye. talking to you. Right. So that was, I mean, that's, that's a pretty, a pretty good kind of first person view of things. Um, at least, at least from kind of, you know, a Western perspective, that that's about as, as, uh, on the ground as, as you can probably get. Um, and so thanks, thanks to Jack for, for joining us for that. Um, I mean, it just, it just does sound like it's, I think there's like an impulse sometimes to, to think of war as, as, uh, just all action and explosions and, uh, fighting all the time. But, um, and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but you know, there, there's just, it, a lot of it I think is just kind of waiting around, um, and, and being miserable and feeling like your safety and, and your position is insecure. Yeah. And, um, I, what I found kind of, I don't know, Jack's been in the game longer. I, I don't really do on the ground journalism unless it's in Morocco, but, um, him saying that Rolling Stone doesn't think that there's an incentive to harm journalists when the narrative, I don't know, press does get harmed in certain conflicts, but not today to go on a full tangent, but yeah, we got an on the ground perspective a bit, but how did you feel about that line though? Cause I'm like kind of worried for him. I think that, uh, I mean, I think that <laughs> I don't have, you know, any war reporting experience um, on the ground, but, I, I think that that's that tends to be what media figures are are told and 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 what they expect from you know uh, belligerents on either side. But I mean, obviously, obviously, it's concerning that he's there. I, I think that that like I don't I don't know how I don't know how secure things are, but also like you know, what if he doesn't really have a way out. So I think that it's just kind of a, you just gotta really just hope that that's the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was like a complete tangent, but. uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, during, during the, um, and this is, this is a, a real generalization, but, you know, during, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to like analogize the conflicts, but, during the Iraq war in the beginning, uh, journalists were, were told that they would be treated respectfully, like no matter who they were from and, and, and they weren't, um, hassled too much. And then, you know, the U S blew up the Al Jazeera building one day. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I think, I think things just kind of change very quickly. Um, and so what might be true right now, uh, is maybe not going to be true, in an hour or a day or a week or a month, um, you know, depending on how long the conflict goes and how long people are, uh, are going to be reporting on it. Yeah. I think that's the perspective to have that things can change. Like we've seen, uh, we've seen so many buildings that are journalists, but not to make journalists the main characters of everything though. That's horrible on my part, but back to like what's actually occurring at, I think going back to your earlier comments before Jack about how this is so much longer when, if we go back to 2014, Owen, like what were your thoughts then when, and the way people were covering the U S backed coup in Ukraine? You know, I honestly don't think that I was paying a whole bunch of attention to it at the time. Um, it, or if I was, it didn't really make like a huge impression on me i mean i remember i remember knowing that there was a coup and i remember uh i mean i think i just kind of place it into my general feelings about how uh russia and the u.s had been interacting for you know the i think pretty much the entirety or not the entirety but like the back half of the obama presidency which was just continually continually more hostile to one another um and and kind of doing this proxy battle cold war that they have been that they did you know throughout the trump years as well um i mean i would i would call like syria a a lot of like the conflict there um a lot of what was going on was kind of 
in my view, you know, Russia and the U.S. kind of using their proxies to fight against one another. And yeah, I, I, you know, I think it was, it was just kind of, I think I just kind of saw it as part of that rather than something so individual. I I do remember when Bush uh, suggested that Ukraine should join NATO. And I remember thinking that that was uh, an insane thing to say. Um, I, I wasn't quite, I, I don't think that I predicted that something like this would happen, um, but it was it was very it was evident at the time that like that that of course Russia would never allow uh, Ukraine to join NATO like that that was like a red line and so uh, to now to now see this uh, you know this this full on invasion going on it, which is I think I think it's pretty safe to say is in is in large part in response uh, to what Russia perceives, at least, uh, as as NATO encroachment uh, into into Ukraine. I, I think that in retrospect, like like looking at it in retrospect, I think that 2008 and 2014 made uh, the tensions that that continue to rise between the countries and kind of made something like this inevitable, which isn't to take away uh, the responsibility of any of the actors for their, for their actions. It's just to say that, you know, there were a lot of points where the West and Russia and uh, each could have, you know, attempted to de-escalate this conflict and they did not. And now we're at the point where it's, it's very hard to see how it becomes de-escalated. I mean, I don't even know like what, the future looks like here that doesn't involve uh, like, I guess a permanent occupation at this point. I mean, you know, like they've gone, uh, Russia has gone in all over the entire country. Uh, I don't, I don't know how they could possibly leave. I mean, what, like, what do you think would happen here? And Sam, we'll take you in just a second. Yeah, we, (laughs) I, I don't know. I just, I keep trying to, kind of trace back what's been occurring and other people know more than I do on this, but um, I guess like the regions and I can be wrong about this. So please push back if I'm wrong or there's other news on this since like 2014, 2015. Okay. So in like 2015, Ukraine violated the Minsk agreements was collaborating with NATO and 2014, the coup happened and the U.S. sent a bunch of arms to fascists, right? That doesn't justify, obviously, what's happening right now. Um, but then the regions that are kind of, well, Donbass and Luzhansk or whatever, I can't pronounce things, English is my third language, uh, voted to be autonomous, right? But I I just, one, I don't think that's going to happen. And two, like you said, like at a certain point when so many places are occupied and it's kind of, it's like sprinkled throughout a country, Um you you can't it's just like occupation like it's really hard to get people to leave like that takes something way bigger than this and way bigger than my imagination and sam perhaps knows more to be really honest on that Yeah, let's 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 take sam as he is uh probably more knowledgeable about this than both of us um hi nashua i'm not sure we've uh we've had a chance to meet um yeah i guess uh last time i was on your show owen i was discussing how unlikely i thought this scenario would be that we are now in and i think even jack thought it was um unlikely that we'd see such a kind of a full-scale invasion in what appears to be the beginning of a war of occupation and oh, regime yeah. change yeah i mean he, he like uh he and i were talking about it in that in that respect uh yeah like 24 hours ago i mean like like not seeing what what we have seen so and, and, and the reason why we we thought that was not just because we were you know not trusting U.S. intelligence, which you know for the first time in a while has turned out to be right here, I suppose, but because of we anticipated that that Putin would anticipate what a disaster this could turn into uh, very quickly, and we're still in the very early stages in which you know it's easy to lob a bunch of missiles and hit targets as a part of a, a shock and awe campaign. But when you're actually trying to, which the U S you know, was able to do in Iraq and thought that that'd be the end of the war. But when you start 
embarking on, you know, an occupation regime change, then you can get bogged down into uh, a really disastrous struggle. And we're already seeing the economic consequences of it uh, in Russia. And we're already seeing a bit of uh, some protest movements bringing up of um, pretty brave people going out to, to protest this war. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hard. This is all this, this entire conflict has been fairly baffling because nobody is acting in a way that you would think they would act to avoid war. And, you know, we, we are talking about NATO and I've had a lot of people push back on me when I when I say that a diplomatic solution should include a commitment against expanding NATO. And people act like that that is a red herring or something and that Putin is just a madman interested in, you know, liberals have long been saying and conservatives that he's interested in rebuilding the Soviet Union, but he comes out and says he's interested in rebuilding the Russian empire and that the right. Soviet thought, Union... I, you know, I thought what you said last night was uh, was pretty sharp. Um, you know that if if a diplomatic solution doesn't involve uh, any NATO I, expansion, I, then what is the alternative? Yeah, that's the, it. I just I just don't know what are the and, and no diplomacy has been tried. Right, like Russia has put forward a bunch of things saying, "Hey, we want a commitment against NATO expansion." We don't want any NATO armaments in Ukraine and in other countries uh, around our border. Uh, And lately, Russia has been saying, you know, we want recognition that Crimea is part of the Russian Federation. Um, You know, it's likely that some sort of diplomatic solution to this will now also include these so-called breakaway republics as well. Um, But when it came to NATO, like... Ukraine has obviously been trying to join NATO and been making moves to join NATO and NATO has been reciprocating that and whether or not that's been serious, you know, is to be determined because right now it's not going to happen. Like Ukraine is, it will not be joining NATO anytime soon. So it seems like it would be an extremely easy concession if people are interested in peace to make that commitment because it's just not going to happen. And so what is the point of keeping up the charade that Ukraine is about to join NATO when that's, that's not going to happen anymore other than like some sort of bluster and brinkmanship that's going on by the West of like not wanting to look like you're making any concessions at all. Right. You're going to have to make, I mean, look, China came out right after this and said, we support this move and blamed it on NATO expansion. Like, the U.S. is not calling the shots anymore. This isn't just a, a unipolar world anymore. And when it comes to finding a diplomatic solution, it, that needs to be recognized. Yeah, I mean, I think that another another aspect to this um, as well is that, you know, as you say, it's not a unipolar world anymore, but also, you know, what what they what Russia said um yesterday when they said you know look if you interfere the consequences are going to like basically like you know the consequences will be nukes um mm-hmm. you know i hear that and i think that kind of sets the stage for saying that more explicitly by a lot of different people right um well while it's always been said implicitly certainly uh Bush saying, if you're not with us, you're against us, was that was a pretty direct and clear threat. And going to invade Iraq in 2003 was also a uh, – the, the implicit background threat of, you know, uh, if, if we're just going to do this because we can because we're strong enough was already there. But it does seem like a bit of an escalation to just so explicitly say it uh, in this case. And – I'm just wondering, like, what the next domino to fall on that would be. Like, what's the next country? I mean, it could very easily uh, be an aggressive action taken by the U.S. Uh, to, to you know, to invade Cuba or Venezuela or something and say, you know, like, like what are you guys going to do about it? Uh, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, obviously, uh, but it kind of does feel like the like the door has been opened a little bit. Uh, Nash, I want to get you in here and, and just 
kind of see what you think about that. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around some stuff I was reading and still am, but, um, like Sam, cause you're still on, like, so you're saying that you don't think that the, you don't think it's a, or that you think it's like kind of lip service, this like idea that people are thinking that Ukraine will get to join NATO. Well, at this I'm point, yeah. yeah, I mean, at this point, it seems like I don't see a path toward. I mean, nobody in NATO now wants to fight a war with Russia uh, over Ukraine. But yeah. there was a very strong push. Think like the entire policy, it seems, over the last few decades has been a, a belief that we can continue pressing NATO, that there's little Russia can do about it because they're in a, a weakened, isolated position, and that eventually. Russia will be surrounded by NATO and will be able to have peaceful relations like that'll be what finally like ends any sort of aggressive posture toward the West from Russia. And it seems like the West has pursued this agenda a little too confidently, thinking that it would, it would work. And despite pretty clear signs from Russia, from Russian leadership, over the last several years that it's beginning, it's growing increasingly hostile to moves by Ukraine to join NATO. Like it was, it was sort of ignored. And, you know, maybe that's why, why I didn't think such an invasion was possible because I was still operating in this sort of mindset that like ultimately Russia is in a weak position here, that there isn't much that they can do given their, their practically, um, surrounded but clearly the clearly there is a card that russia can still play here and they're playing it no i agree with you there's like there's this idea it's true though it's a true idea that the u.s eu like nato there's like this axis of domination right uh u.s eu nato axis of domination and so if you see like nato as kind of this criminal military structure and it's and you view it as its only purpose of providing like military and like a material basis for expansion of kind of colonial powers or powers of domination for the US and EU. Um, and you like look back at like, for example, like Biden, Obama and Libya, that's the viewpoint. But you're right. Like, so I also thought like you that like maybe Russia was in a weaker position. That's not to answer anybody's questions here, but it is kind of to operationalize what's going on and then kind of why maybe this took a lot of people, including myself, by surprise yesterday night. Well, it, I mean, it is a brinksmanship yeah. move, right? I mean, like that, like, I, I think that this, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. Well, if, like, if like I, Russia if, knew, Russia knew that, like, if they did this, like, that there was just, the, the, like, the U.S. and NATO were not going to like launch a war on them. Like they knew, like they knew that, and and so they are. I mean, in my view, what they're doing is they're, uh, they're taking this action, uh, in, in such a way to kind of expand their border a little bit against, uh, you know, NATO and the West, but also to prove a point. To prove a point that like we're willing to go this far, and if if you're willing to go this like like then you have to. But like if you're not like if you want Ukraine to be in NATO, like this is what it's going to be because we're going to invade. And I think that that, uh, and, and this isn't an endorsement or or not an endorsement of it, but like there is a certain logic to that that I understand. Um, and and I'm I'm abstracting here. I'm taking away from you know the all the people who are going to die and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to like, look at it from, from Russia's point of view, because I think it's important to do that, especially when we're in the West and most of the, most of the news that we're getting is from the Western perspective. So what, what Russia is doing does follow a certain kind of logic. Uh, I think the question is like, what would happen next? Assuming that this, assuming that this ends with, you know, either, a Russian client state or regime change or a Russian occupation. Uh, what's the next step? Because obviously mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I think I agree with you, Sam, like Ukraine is not going to go into NATO. That, that's, that's not going to happen at this point. So, yeah. So, so what's next? 
I think there's going to be an occupation. I don't know what you and, think, you and Sam think, but I think it's everything's set in stone for occupation. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be. I mean, like, again, it, it depends, like, what is going on in Putin's mind right now. And I, I, I'm really not sure, like, if assuming he, you know, maybe this is a play to, like, secure Crimea in the Donbass and, and, and areas by, you know, occupying those areas and uh, eviscerating the Ukrainian military so that you can then come to a peace negotiation that includes all these ceding all this land to Russia or recognizing independence of breakaway regions on top. So in a way, you know, Russia could get every, all the security issues addressed without doing an occupation simply by, but it does seem like they are moving toward the occupation. And based on what Putin says, it seems like he wants a different regime in Ukraine. And I I don't see any reason to, to doubt it uh, anymore, given that the way this is tracked, but, you know, just to like, it is really awful what is happening to the Ukrainian people who I think have been sold a raw deal by the West and by NATO in this belief that clearly there are, there is like a concern of Russian imperialism, but it was always sold that like you could, you could defend yourself against that by joining NATO, but it was the act of going through the process of joining NATO that, that then makes the country so vulnerable to a war like this, given the previous statements that Russia has made about Ukraine joining NATO. I mean, there's that WikiLeaks document from 2008, uh, State Department cable from William Burns when he was the ambassador to Moscow. He's now the CIA director in which he's laying it out that 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 Russia has made it clear that Ukraine's attempts to join NATO would cause a civil war or would draw Russia into a military conflict to, that would destabilize the region. So, like, none of this stuff is should be surprising to to U.S. officials and post-2014 coup and having relations with the new government in Ukraine, the fact that the U.S. wouldn't take special care to avoid such a conflict and try to bring this new government into some sort of deal with Russia to take NATO expansion off the table, I think set up a lot of this disaster here and now these, and, you know, obviously it would be a disaster if the U S helped in any way, or if NATO helped in any way, the Ukrainian people, it just can't happen because that would risk nuclear war. But -hmm. I think that, that, that a lot of Ukrainians were, were led on to believe that they were safe pursuing this course of action. And now their country is getting destroyed. And yes, you can blame all the blame in the world should go to Russia, but that does seem like a very drastic policy failure on the part of the West, if indeed the goal was to avoid a war in Europe and to protect countries like Ukraine. Yeah, I, th- I think I think getting the context is very important because if you don't have that, and and they, they, you know this goes back to what we were talking about, Nashwa, uh, to start here, um, you know, only looking at this as as a function of the last few years, the last year, or something just just misses this long continuity of West and the Russia and sorry, the West and Russia facing off against each other and, and, and uh, basically at war. Um, I'm going to Sam, thanks so much for, uh, for chatting with us. I'm going to take the, the next caller here. Uh, thanks. Uh, Joshua, you want, you want to say thanks, something Joshua. real quick before we do that? Bye Sam. Bye. All right. Go. Should be all set. You don't want to unmute yourself. That's the thing down on the bottom right. Oh, okay. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully they uh, they rejoin. Um, no. Oh, they just did. Oh, cool. There we go. Sorry, I uh, hit the hang up instead of the unmute button. Um, I just wanted to kind of uh, talk about the historical aspect a little more. I just want to do a couple quick quotes. One is from Brzezinski in his uh, 1997 book, The Grand Chessboard and Chessboard American Primacy and its Geostrategic Imperatives. Uh, He says that Ukraine is a geopolitical geopolitical pivot 
because its very existence as an independent country helps to transform Russia. Without Ukraine, Russia ceases to be a Eurasian empire. And then skipping ahead, um, Ukraine's loss of independence would have immediate consequences for Central Europe, transforming Poland into the geopolitical pivot. Uh, if R Moscow regains control over Ukraine uh, and its major resources, Russia automatically again regains the wherewithal to become a powerful imperial state uh, spanning Europe and Asia. And then uh, fast forwarding to 20, when was it? 2014, uh, during the Crimea expansion of Russia, uh, Mearsheimer writes, the taproot of the trouble is NATO enlargement, the central element of a larger strategy to move Ukraine out of Russia's orbit and integrate into the West. For Putin, the illegal overthrow of Ukraine's democratically elected and pro-Russian president, which he rightly labeled a coup, was the final straw. He responded by taking Crimea, a peninsula he feared would host a NATO naval base. I'm only uh, including these quotes not because it's my moral position, but because I adhere to the um, the real politic uh, arguments and explanations for Russia's actions with regards to NATO expansion. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. The, the Brzezinski quote is really interesting, um, you know, about the reestablishment of empire. And, you know, that was something that, that Sam was talking about as well, um, or, or at least, you know, reestablishment as, as a major player there. Uh, I think that, um, I think that it's, you know, it's important to, to look at this stuff as, uh, Oh, I just bumped you out. Sorry. Um, but I, I'll take you back in a second. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's it's important to to look at this stuff. Like I said, like you know, in context, because I, you know, I think Sam put it really well when he said, you know, this isn't to excuse Russia's actions. It's not to excuse uh, this full-on invasion of Ukraine. It's not to excuse any of the massive violence, uh, death, and blood that is going to come from this war. And in fact, I think that you can easily say uh, uh, anything even up to the point of, of, you know, Russia has full responsibility for this. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying I would say that, but, um, you know, you, you could say anything up to that point, but you still have to understand the context of what has come before and to understand why uh, Russia will be taking these actions, which are so honestly, like so aggressive, uh, you know, really to, to go after the entire country like this, um, especially after kind of telegraphing for, for, for months that, that it was just going to be the breakaway regions, which obviously was still, uh, not great. Uh, but uh, to, to kind of go from that, which is, you know, and if you look at the map, I mean, the, the breakaway regions are rather small compared to the rest of Ukraine. Uh, to then just go and try and take over the entire country. And again, I mean, they, they've gone all the way. I think, I, I think the name of the city is Lviv. I'm not, I'm not looking at it right now, but you know, that is like uh, 300 kilometers away from Poland. I mean, this is a move by Russia that is extremely aggressive and they are really trying to make a point here and having that context uh, from Brzezinski I think is really important because it really shows that, you know, this has been understood by all the powers in the region for a long time of what would happen. And obviously uh, those in the West wanted to prevent Russia from reestablishing itself as a Eurasian power, uh, as Brzezinski said, and Russia wanted to reestablish itself. And that seems to me to be kind of, you know, the, maybe the larger frame uh, context for for what's going on, and and now I'll I'll let, I'll let you uh, you rejoin if you want to unmute yourself and and just uh, reply to that. No, I mean uh, I totally agree that Russia is responsible for the uh, aggression, the bloodshed, the direct you know the direct direct aggression. I'm not talking about the geopolitical chessboard type moves, but the actual invasion uh, and all the negative consequences related to that that is on Russia. Nobody can condone. Uh, violation of Ukraine's borders. Uh, right, of course, yeah. However, not again, not not uh, condoning uh, Russian expansionism, but 
Russia is not Iraq and Ukraine is not Kuwait. This is not a regional conflict that can be managed with air power and, and uh, you know, essentially no one realistically is going to uh, condone a, or is going to support a ground invasion of Eastern Europe to support Ukraine. Ironically, NATO involvement, you know, uh, entrance into NATO by Ukraine would necessitate a ground war, essentially, to protect its borders. And uh, so this whole thing has been kind of posturing where, you know, Ukraine will, uh, you know, may join NATO. uh, And then, you know, would even if it had joined NATO, I can't see uh, a scenario where there would be an, you know, a Bosnia type intervention to, quote unquote, liberate it. Uh, if Russia did make aggressive moves. And I think, you know, this is a game of chicken where Russia has kind of finally gone first. And uh, the only situation, no, the only way out is political and economic sanctions, etc. It's going to be painful for uh, Russia. It's going to be painful for Eastern Europe. It'll be painful for Western Europe, for, for example, Germany with the regard to energy. Um, but I do not Personally, I do not see uh, a military resolution uh, other than, you know, long-term insurgency. Uh, it's a, like a Syria-type situation rather than, you know, a clean, quote-unquote, clean war and clean um, end to hostilities. Absolutely. Uh, Nashua, do you want to reply to that? And thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, I see you're on deck, Kusha. Uh, we are getting close to the end. Um, I will take you for about 90 seconds though uh but nashwa I'll, I'll go to you first there on on sanctions oh no just the word sanctions i um obviously like sanctions cripple a people and an economy but i'm just processing what the last caller said because uh i i think we're going to see more sanctions talk in the next week i'm curious about what kusha wants to say but i think we will be seeing that as uh, what people start to talk about that sanctions because that's true the, the ground invasion would trigger something much larger, but I think there's going to be sanctions talk. I expect the Biden administration, um, probably the press secretary, to start talking about sanctions tomorrow morning, to be honest, based on the way this is headed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, I think in, in in fairness, it's not going to be coming out of nowhere, right? I mean, like they were talking about, like they talked about this last week, uh, that, uh, you know, that the next move would, would, uh, exploded out um so kusha i'm going to take you but like i said uh, we're gonna we're just gonna do 90 seconds here so uh, just uh, just ask the question real fast thanks hi okay thanks owen thanks for having me so uh i'll just be quick like you said like a minute and a half or so so what i want to say is it really looks like now many people who are self-described anti-imperialists still have to acknowledge like that putin did this invasion in ukraine even though Many who do so normally say it's not my job as a citizen of the West, someone who pays taxes to the U.S., to criticize enemy governments of the U.S. Um, Russia being a case, Syria being a case, Islamic Republic of Iran being a case, Hamas being a case. This being another one. And that so much of the mindset of people who are self-described anti-imperialists is that, like, if I say anything critical of these enemy governments, it's going to be weaponized by the war machine. So I'm not going to do it. I think that it's constantly the wrong to make. I think people just need to be thorough and honest in telling the facts and laying out the truth. I think that what happens from the U.S. major media by leaving out the role of the United States in the Maidan coup of 2014 and also by leaving out the role of Nazis in current Ukraine is only going to exacerbate this tensions. I don't necessarily think having like multipolarity just for the sake of it is necessarily a positive thing. I can I think you can lead a world up to like a World War One situation or a World War Two situation. We had so many dominant powers. And I think this is very dangerous. And I think the best that we can do as people of around the world, not just people who are citizens of the West or people like yourself who are commentators of the West, but it's just to be thorough and speak on it constantly from the beginning about who Putin is, who the U.S. government is, who Biden is, who Trump is, who, uh, who Khamenei is, and so on. I'd really love to hear your take on that. I kept it brief like you asked. Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, again, this this kind of comes to the, you know, I think I think the last time the Kusha was on, uh, we were talking about, uh, I was talking with Abby Martin, and we were talking about, um, you know, uh, at what point, at what point is it uh, useful and, and what point is it not useful for commentators uh, in the West to 
to comment on the leaders and the actions of, of other states, especially when they are, you know, kind of official or unofficial state enemies. And I think I would just kind of go back to my answer there, uh, which is to say that um, I, I don't I don't consider this a defense of any any other other power or or country. But but as a commentator in the U.S., as somebody who is a citizen of the U.S. and a, uh, you know, a dual national in Ireland, so a dual national of another uh, Western country, uh, I think there's a limited amount of utility for me to spend a lot of time uh, talking about people like Vladimir Putin or Khomeini or uh, Assad or, you know, whichever... um, Western enemy uh, we may be talking about. Like I, I start to question the utility of that because uh, I'm, I would really just be preaching to the choir uh, for people on the West in the West, and I think that uh, it's it's more useful uh, in my position to to kind of critique Western leaders and and Western positions, and and that is not. I mean, like, look. Over over the last, I mean, this is the third show that I've done on Ukraine in a row, um, and this is probably today is probably like the closest that I've gotten to being at all sympathetic with Russia. And uh, I think I think all of us have said on multiple occasions uh, that that the the actions of the Russian government here are inexcusable. Sim- simply by giving context, we're not we're not excusing that, and what they're doing is wrong. So. Uh, but I, I just question the utility of me doing more than that, and so uh, so I choose to to not do that. Uh, Nashua, I'll let you I'll let you answer for yourself. But that's kind of my position on it. Um, I, I just don't I just don't know if it's like the best use of my time and and my platform. Yeah, I agree with you. Like I, uh, anybody who follows me online knows I kind of weigh what I say about certain things and I kind of think about my social location and I benefit from living in the West immensely. Um, So yeah, I, I agree on that front. Um, And like the kind of related, not related, uh, like you said, like you, 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 this is the closest you came to sounding very sympathetic towards Russia, but um, I I don't know. I'm not from that region and I'm not impacted. And I think what I would say is the way people in the West uh, discuss, like, even jokingly, the idea of, like, World War Three in a draft, this is a little bit off, but it's just, it's inappropriate. Um, and when we think about anti-imperialism, they're just different geographies that we can't graft onto previous situations directly and just being mindful of that. But I'm with you on kind of being uh, tempered with what I put out there until I sit more with it and maybe write about it because that's more so my medium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that I don't I don't know how many people have been joking about World War Three. I mean, it has been the I, I think the possibility of nuclear war was made pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, you're right with yesterday's statement. No, I mean, yeah. like, people who are being stupid online, which is me being too stupid reading that stuff. But, like, yeah, no American's going to be drafted into this. No, no. Um, you know, just want to take, like, just a couple minutes here, um, it, just before we, we wrap up, uh, just to say that, you know, one thing that we have seen a lot of is um, that there are anti-war protests going on in Russia. There is resistance to war uh, in Russia. There, uh, there was an, an anarchist group um, mm-hmm. put out put out this statement that I thought was 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 really good. Uh, just talking about you know that that there's that they don't support you know either state in this, but like it's it would just be a complete mistake to think of these as equals because of you know the power dynamic difference and. And just and just the general difference, and I think the part of, as well what they were saying is you know we're in Russia, so we're going to criticize Russia. You know we're not going to criticize Ukraine. There's a lot to criticize Ukraine for. We're not going to do it because that's not uh, our function. That's not what we're doing. And I thought that that was, I mean, I think that kind of like ties into to what we're we're both saying here. Um, and it is refreshing to see uh, that that there is this kind of uh, 
public anti-war movement right now in Russia, despite uh, despite the very like there's, there's there does seem to be a lot of pressure against it. So so it's good to see that people are are, are out there anyway. Yeah, um, and I appreciate it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say like like you know may, maybe this this could be the kind of political pressure that that might be needed to to maybe actually de-escalate this. Yeah, yeah, better than no offense to Ukraine, whoever is running the Twitter account for that country, but um, it's it's, it's a better yeah. uh, anti-war move. But uh, no, I appreciated your newsletter uh, today that talked about how it's it's not going to be a fight between equals, right? And it's more about like the time game, and we're talking about this so early. Like yesterday night, we were texting about it, and, and it's not it hasn't even been twenty four hours, and. A point you brought up in your Flashpoint newsletter was just like the only question at this point is how long it takes Russia to take over the country. And I think in the next two weeks, we're going to see a lot unfold and we're going to see statements come out and we're going to just see if aggression de-escalates. But I kind of doubt it. But I agree with you. It's just not a fight between equal powers right now. And it's just not something that uh, is going to be resolved in a week or two. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think like even even it's been if, eight uh, years. It's been eight plus yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, like like even even if even if Russia just like rolls through Ukraine and uh, defeats the military and takes over the country by by Sunday, uh, like, like you're saying, like that's not going to be the end of it. Like like the, like that's not the way that war works. So, um, but I I I think I think we're going to end it there. Um, not so you want to just tell people a little bit where they can, they can find your work and, and they can, uh, you know, stay up on, on, on your, your commentary. Uh, yeah. So my, my written medium is significantly stronger. And when I talk about things in my domain, like Canada, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Nashua K N A S H W A K A Y. And, um, there you can find my podcast project that has some writing mixed in called Hibbity please. And thanks for having me. Oh, and it was nice to chat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening, uh, whether you are listening live or on replay. If you're listening on the app, please give uh, the podcast a subscribe so we can see you uh, next week. We do two shows a week, so always good to uh, keep you guys there. Uh, so thanks, everybody, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye.